And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Oh, let's get ready to ramble! November 9th, 2019, Omega and Moxley would make history when they met at the main event of the inaugural Full Gear event. In an unsanctioned lights out match, both men had promised to take the competitor to his limit and break him. In a bloody horrific affair that included glass, mousetraps, barbed wire weapons, barbed wire net, and the exposed planks of wood under the ring mat, such brutality had not been showcased on mainstream wrestling since ECW in the 90s. And even then, Kenny Omega and John Moxley are some of the biggest stars in the world. The match was so bloody and upsetting, the Athletic State Commission of Maryland were forced to act due to the number of complaints. They fined AEW $10,000 for the use of blood and the arena banned the promotion for a whole year. Cornette called the match self-indulgent, phony, silly, stupid, embarrassing, big budget, garbage fucking wrestling. Although Meltzer went on the record hating the match, he did say it was a modern day spectacle and awarded it 4.5 stars. Jim Ross says the use of psychology in a death match is a breath of fresh air in modern day wrestling. The world was divided, but for Tony Khan, any press is good press. The wrestling world was talking about Omega, Moxley and AEW. The thing is, the men weren't even feuding. They were both just fancied a death match, and many would say that this would be the blow-off of a feud, but if anything, it was just the beginning. Omega would be involved in the tag team scene for the following year, while Moxley went on to become the World Heavyweight Champion. A whole year later at Full Gear 2020, Omega finished up his feud with Hangman Page, completing his heel turn and cementing himself as the top heel of the company by winning the finals in the tournament to crown number one contender. In a match of the year candidate, many wanted Page to win. This meant, once again, a year later, Omega was gunning for Moxley, but this time it was for the World Heavyweight Championship. Up until this point, all of Moxley's matches had been gimmicky or weapon-based affairs, so Omega dared him to go one-on-one with no tricks, a gentleman's agreement. The manipulative Omega didn't play by his own rules, however, when the two met at a Dynamite special episode dubbed Winter is Coming on December 2nd, 2020. Don Callis, Omega's new best friend, or rather the devil on his shoulder, gets in the ring and gets on the mic to try and end things mid-match. Omega slyly grabs hold of the mic and strikes Moxley to bust him open, which in turn helps him wins the match and wins the championship. Over the next month, Callis manages Omega and the old Bullet Club pals and Carl Anderson and Doc Gallo start interfering in matches. Omega even interferes in their matches over at Impact Wrestling. Moxley gets tired of the beatdowns and wants a match fitting of the violence both men can deliver. Omega suggests a barbed wire C4 exploding deathmatch. It couldn't be more perfect. Omega's love for Japanese culture meets the deathmatch wrestler Moxley has had to hide away for years. And again, Tony Khan is pushing the level of violence and the world is talking about AEW, whether you think it's for the good or for the bad. Elsewhere on the card, Big Show, who debuted on the Go Home Show, announced the signing of a Hall of Fame-worthy talent that will shake up the industry. The wrestling community ran wild with speculation on who will debut at Revolution. Crazy theories from Cena, Brock or CM Punk were all over the internet, including unrealistic picks like Kurt Angle and Batista, to likely free agents in Bully Ray, RVD and Ethan Page. But who will be the mystery man? All this and more as we review AEW Revolution 2021. Botched, 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 botched up. Brother! What's up? This is the Botch Up Podcast where we're talking about Revolution 2021. As always with me, Benito, and my good friend Basil. This show bombed harder than Speed 2 at the box office. Sure, it did. It was a rough ride 
from beginning to end. A massive disappointment for AEW fans. He's just going to start with the main event, right? Because everyone's talking about this C4 exploding death match. I'm a little bit heartbroken, Ben. I have to admit, uh, my voice is softer than usual. I am staring blankly at my wallpaper. I was so excited for this match. And I think what makes everything worse is that this match delivered. Uh, you know that I'm not a massive fan of death matches. I've never particularly been one that's partial to barbed wire. These guys had me. And as you talked about in your great introduction, you talked about Kenny Omega and John Moxley adding an element of psychology to death matches. And I believe that last night they added more psychology to an exploding ring match than any other uh, two individuals has managed. So yeah, Would so you... let, let's talk about the match first before the ending of the entire pay-per-view. Because so many people online are saying the match was shit, it was ruined, the whole thing. But the, the actual match was fantastic. The two did a really, really great job. Really, really good. Yeah, there were some brutal spots on there. It made sense. It made sense from a storyline perspective. It filled the hardcore quota. I mean, there were some awful, awful shots on there. Um, I winced a few times when, uh, again, it, the exploding ring match stuff let it down. When Moxley goes into the the so-called landmine, which is a barbed wire Oh, table. yeah, but let's talk about this for a second. So both of them are on the apron. Uh, Moxley has Omega in um, a Death Rider, does it off of the apron through basically what's a table, but it's, it's a platform that's covered in barbed wire. Forget the explosion. He just did a Death Rider. Omega goes face first into barbed wire and Moxley goes back first. And they essentially, they both take a table bump that's full of barbed wire. I mean, come on. There's a good minute or two there where Moxley's sitting with skin pierced into barbed wire and can't get up. And some people on the internet said, well, the same people on the internet that said AEW is finished here, said that Moxley was just coming to terms with the fact that the explosion looked shit. I can almost guarantee you that Moxley was not aware of the explosion looking bad. He was figuring out how to try and exert his back skin from the barbed wire. Yeah, I think they were much and more concerned about all the piercings in their body. This is sure. where I think uh, maybe we were both naive and where we were looking forward to the exploding ring match a little too much because you take a spot like that which on any other show, on in any other match type, would be blow away. Yeah. Uh, pardon the pun. You look at that and you, you have a sense, even I did, uh, let alone the casual fan tuning into this. Ah, that explosion didn't go too great. Well, you've, you've just watched Moxley nearly kill himself, you know? For me, I, I kind of ignored the explosions. I took that away because very early on I realised that that's not going to live up to what we were expecting, however, sure. these two were having a great match, so I just enjoyed it for the match and kind of just forgot about the explosion thing. I think maybe with hindsight, there's a reason that this match isn't thrown around too much because it doesn't matter what you do in the ring or outside of the ring, people have bought a show to watch explosions. Yeah, we're all here. And yeah, we're all here to see someone blown up. Like you can go brutally extreme like these two did and have a fantastic death match, but you're still waiting for a, a bigger pyro. If they didn't do the whole thing with the ending, the the final spot of really was the barbed wire bat that was 
had explosions on it. So when it hit Moxley, it exploded in his face, which I thought was an amazing finish. It was fantastic to look at. It was a great spot. I completely marked out when this happened. Oh, same, same. It was the best explosion. And um, honestly, I think that should have been close of the night. They shouldn't have done the time uh, down explosion thing. That's a visual that you could take from any camera shot across the ring and it still looked magnificent. It was so great. It was amazing. And, and nobody's talking about this. And I don't, well, there's, I don't nobody's know talking about a lot of these spots. Um, leg on the exploding... Yeah, uh, that was clever. Uh, on the exploding uh, ring rope. That was a, a magnificent spot. I've never seen in an exploding match uh, using white powder. I thought that added a, a different layer. There's a spot where Kenny Omega full on goes into barbed wire into his ass, probably his asshole, which just looked horrible. Oh, Mo- when Moxley has to like crawl out from the barbed wire board and like pull, and you can see his skin actually tearing. The whole thing was out. right up to Eddie coming down was a masterpiece from storytelling perspective. Bro, I got worked. Like, full-on worked. It's the end of the match. I see how much is left uh, on the pay-per-view because I didn't watch it live. And uh, there's, like, another 10 minutes to go. He hits the one-winged angel onto a chair, and I'm like, holy shit, there's 10 more minutes to go, and the ring's going to blow up in, like, eight minutes' time. Um, uh, a is about to kick out the one-winged angel, the most protected move in all of wrestling, at the moment and I, I thought he was going to kick out at that moment yeah yeah no but they, they had you but they had you in everything like these guys honestly it was very very clear from the outset not just the the main callbacks with eddie coming down but from the the tiny things that they did these guys studied tape there were so many little callbacks that the the punishing pile drivers anita style Kenny Omega was the only person apart from Terry Funk that I've seen go so close headfirst to the, the, the barbed wire ring ropes. I mean, the, the, in the opening minutes, uh, John Moxley was licking the barbed wire saying, you know, like, t- try me. This was a love letter. Like you said, with when we were talking about Full Gear a couple of months ago and how you thought that FTR uh, Young Bucks was a love letter to tag team wrestling, this was give or take the last minute an absolute love letter to exploding ring death matches and i think they knocked it out of the park in every single way which just makes the ending so much sad and that ending isn't moxley or omega's fault as well everything that they could control they delivered on more than delivered on if it wasn't for that finish this match would go down in history as it is this match will still go down in history but, but for the as reasons. the shock master moment yeah. of of the 2020s okay right well let's talk about it then we we both love the match we'll both give it as uh, as death matches go we'll give it five stars right yeah easily yeah it, it was it's one of the best exploding matches i've ever seen they did a fantastic job so the closing minutes of this match they handcuff moxley in the ring the good brothers and uh, they're going to let the timer go down. This makes absolutely no sense. Like, why would you just not press the button and stop the bombs once the match is over? Would you continue have, to let the bombs go have, off? Well, I mean, they could have done this looking back now in so many different ways, man. They could have just put it in a different area. Isn't Davies Stadium giant? Could they not have put this in the middle of uh, the stadium they use for the that's, stadium stampede? Yeah, that's actually the argument. that. Uh, so Daly's place is just like an amphitheater that's just... Just in one corner of this massive football arena that houses like half a million attendants. Uh, so the the argument was like you could have just done this in the football arena and gone really massive with it. I've, th- I've seen other people say, I mean, I agree with them. Like, how could you see that 
because obviously they must have tested it once, right? How could you see that and not think, even if it worked properly, that's not going to work? Okay, okay. Well, um, it, so you're jumping but, the gun a little bit, but I'll, I will explain that apparently they did test run it, and in the test run, it looked good. It wasn't a dud. The explosions mm. worked. It, it filled up the space, and on camera, it, it looked like it was a proper explosion. However, I would argue... As an amateur enthusiast in fireworks, <laughs> you definitely are. You've got you've got the certification for that. If you look at all the placings of the of of the pyrotechnics where they put them, it was never gonna look like an, one big explosion. It was always gonna be like lots of little explosions everywhere. So even if it wasn't um, a dud fire, I don't know which one was a dud. I think like the main center one that I think came from the top that was meant to go down into the ring. But, um, but even if they had done that, you still would have had like sparklers on the side. It wouldn't have looked like that massive explosion we've seen Anita do in Japan. But if they didn't want to do the Anita explosion because it was it was potentially too harmful, there are so many things you could do. Look at all of the the gimmicks that we've seen with the ring used forever. Like even Kane's pyro would have looked better, or just make the ring to to crumble. That was the main thing coming out of this. I, I was expecting at the very I wasn't expecting the level of fireworks that we saw in the nineties Japan stuff, but I was at least expecting the ring to just break break. Like when uh the Brock oh, Lesnar like the big, big show, show thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, or something like that. Oh or, actually that would have been dope. Yeah. yeah I yeah. like that. If you if you'd literally just broken the ring and poured the smoke in twenty times more, people wouldn't yeah. have really noticed. Yeah, well, the massive joke at the moment, isn't it, that Cody's entrance has better pyro than the explosion. <laughs> the fucking gender reveal had better pyro. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm wondering is whether there's a third-party pyrotechnics company that came in and got involved, or whether AEW has some guy on staff that kind of wired everything up. Well, I think that guy on staff is fired. It's just, it's sad, man. And I know we've we've already been through this. The match was excellent. But just even that opening when Moxley comes out. Matches hit different, bro, when people that aren't Shawn Michaels get down on their knees and pray and then take a shot of Jack. That was, I was so into this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then to have what we had, it's, I can see why it's the laughing stock of the world. But for once, I can't get on board with the hate train. This just makes me sad. It doesn't make me want to laugh at the company. It makes me sad. What makes me a little bit mad, Tony Khan's response to this failure in the post-pay-per-view media scrum. Didn't he try and play it off as um, it was Omega's fault? Yeah, so he did the Omega fault thing, which I assume Mox Moxley said after the show, that sort of stuff, which I assume was off the cuff and... Uh, Tony Khan ran with it but he also added which has gotten so many people's ire what did you really expect we can't just blow the guys up or something to that effect so instead of just sort of saying yeah it didn't go as we planned we're sorry he's kind of backing it up in a childish way and saying yeah no you know like do you expect us to actually explode people well Tony that's kind of what you sold it's um, surprising that he said that because he's been a pretty good promoter up until now like really it's surprising to come from his mouth that he would 
go back on a promise. I'm going to still give him the benefit of the doubt because unlike a lot of people on social media right now who are, you know, the, the AEW haters that are waiting for any opportunity to shit on the company. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of that going on at the moment. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give Tony Khan the benefit of the doubt, but I really hope that's not his true colours, where he can't admit to a failure and just say, hey, look, it didn't go as planned. Because I think people would respect that a hell of a lot more. Yeah, maybe he was just flustered and they were asking him questions and he was just struggling to come up with a a response. Can we talk about poor bastard Eddie Kingston for a second? Yeah, well, well, when you said that you were just, uh, you weren't angry, you were just sad... I was going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm sad mainly for Eddie Kingston. Quick, very quickly, the story goes, Eddie Kingston runs out to try and protect Moxley, pull him out of the ring. He can't do it in time, so he does basically the Onita spot where he jumps on top of um, of Moxley to defend him from the explosion. So I... when, the, when the sparklers go up, rather mm. than an explosion, uh, Eddie Kingston's looking down, right? Try and put yourself in his shoes. Oh, he, yeah. He still hears bang, 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 bang. One hundred percent. And he doesn't, he doesn't see anything. And then he s- sells it like he just took a nuclear bomb. There's no and, way uh, when there's no way if you're. I've seen a couple of people criticizing Eddie on this. There's absolutely no way if you're laying on the ring over John Moxley with your face down and you hit like they might not have looked great, but pyro is still going on around your head. You can't tell the audible level of whether something is good or not. Eddie was yeah. face down. Yeah. He couldn't see anything. He just played. He he played like le- the legitimate actor and seller that he is. He he he's a professional, and that's what he delivered. But what uh, I'm just, I mean, I'm why just... is why is there no EMT? They, there was like four or five EMTs coming down. Could somebody not have given him the heads up? Yeah, this is what this is what I was gonna say. I'm, I don't know if AEW uses headsets all that much. Could have Tony Khan not got in someone's ear. One of those doctors got in and been like, uh, "Eddie, it was shit. Don't sell it. Like, get up." You know, someone could have said something to save face. And surely. this is you can agree with me or not, but this is one running thing that I've seen within AEW. When it goes off script, they don't know what to do. When it yeah. when it goes off script in WWE. They just play it on the fly. They're, they're trained to do that. The last time we had this in AEW was when Matt Hardy, quite honestly, could not carry on competing. But they carried on anyway because they didn't know what else to do with it. This was another example. Yeah, which is a real shame because the, it, the ending of the show could have been completely different. if um, and, and that John Moxley promo that we've all heard about now but i assume is untaped because it happened after the show mm-hmm. if that had happened live on pay-per-view i feel like there is audio footage of, there is uh, visual footage of it oh okay okay but uh but if that happened live on pay-per-view i feel like i mean this i don't know this up until this main event this was not a 50 dollar pay-per-view if i had paid 50 dollars and that was the finish i do think i'd be a little bit upset and that is even sadder, man, because we were talking in the predictions about how much of a buzz this stuff has made. And we got well, a, a fizzle and Christian. On it, honestly, this is the point I wanted to make with you, that it, it fizzled out. But um, whether, it, whether it was good or it was not bad, I alluded it to in my intro. For the last week, all we've talked about was AEW. Our, our podcast and everyone else's is just full of it. Yeah. And for the, this week, all we're talking about is AEW. Don't forget, we're in the middle of the road to WrestleMania season, yep. and all anyone is talking about, for good or for bad, is AEW. We, so we, if you believe all good, 
uh, all press is good press. There's no bad press. You're, Tony Khan's doing something right. You've gone down the Eric Bischoff controversy creates cash route there. Yeah. And I mostly agree with you. The only point I would pick up here is this generated more interest than pretty much anything AEW has done thus far, I, w- I would estimate. Them delivering Christian and some sparklers. If anybody did pick up this pay-per-view for $50, I doubt they'd be back. Sure, yeah, people that bought pay-per-view. Um, but well, before we get on to Christian, I, th- I think the story of the spark. I think a lot of people are going to tune in on Wednesday to see how, how they, they deal go with it. now. Yeah. I really, really hope they don't do the Kenny Omega fucked it's up the bomb, bomb thing. Yeah. That's such a terrible idea. Or even worse, I've heard bandied about uh, Michael Nuazaka taking the blame for it. it just either... This is one time I would say AEW needs to take the lead of what WWE would do. Um, either never mention it again. I was going to say, to be fair, WWE would just roll with it and forget yeah, it. They, just, they wouldn't... Do you remember when Seth Rollins uh, poked out Rey Mysterio's eyeball? Yes. For about two weeks, they half mentioned on commentary that Ray was recovering. And then, somehow, they kind of turned the Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio feud into one of the low-key highlights of SummerSlam. They just carried on with it. They don't... This is the thing with WWE. They're tone deaf. And there's a few positives to that. Many negatives, but a few positives. They will just carry on with something. They don't care about public opinion. It doesn't touch them. I and don't that's with with all the controversy, I think they have to um, address it somewhat. I would either never mentioning it again, or if Moxley's in the mood, say that got fucked up. I want to get myself fucked up even further so I can go on paternity leave, please, and just have like a <laughs> crazier thing on Wednesday. If anyone can save it, Eddie Kingston can deliver a promo oh, that saves it. Yeah, man, what a guy to have in this horrible position. Yeah. Can you imagine get like Lance Archer, for example, being in this position? Yeah. yeah. Eddie Kingston. But that's why I feel bad for him because okay. this was obviously Eddie's Eddie Kingston's big face turn. Like he's well, gonna yeah, be a completely that, new character after dude, this. That was the thing. That was the thing, man. Like when he came down and laid over Moxley, I'm not into the AEW law. I actually kind of dislike when they do long building long term storylines. But I loved that. I thought that was god-tier storytelling. I thought that was so good because you could have Kingston turn face, slowly build up, you could have a little program against Omega, which I assume was their plan, and then Moxley and Kingston come back for a little bit of a tag team for a while to spruce things up. There's so much you could do with it. It was a great idea. Well, I mean, he still could face turn because he's still the hero of the day. He didn't know the explosion was going to be shit. And that's how I hope he plays it off. That's, yeah. That is really how I hope. Because I, I, I can't remember who it was. I'm not sure whether it was... I think it might have been Tony Schiavone came in like an angel towards the end of that match. Or maybe it was Excalibur, actually. One of them said, it's just too hot in there. And they were desperately trying to save it. They were trying to be like... They've passed oh, out from the heat of the, the pyro. F- right. Yeah. Um, which was such a good save. If that's Excalibur, that's my first congratulations to him. Oh, mate, it wasn't Excalibur. Uh, ex- so the sparklers go off and Excalibur starts going oh my god the devastation fucking this is idiot. crazy fucking and both, idiot this... and both JR and, Sh- and Shivani aren't saying a thing I and would I can s- just imagine at the announcer's booth they're both just looking <laughs> at Excalibur like 
Dude, <laughs> cut it. You can't sell that. Just fucking stop. So, yo, uh, like, could you must... imagine JR's face? Well, it must have been it, it must have been old pro old pro Shivani then, who was like, oh, they've passed out from the heat or something. JR gave a very special twist on his God Almighty right at the end of the show. I don't know whether you <laughs> caught that. He said, God Almighty. <laughs> which is great from my personal opinion fuck the technical pyro guy and uh kenny omega john moxley delivered a fucking five-star death match and it's not on them and i thought that that was brilliant honestly and if i ever watch it back again i will just cut it off before the final five seconds yeah i think a lot of people on the internet need to go back rewatch this match and then just just forget about the explosions just take that out of your mind enjoy the barbed wire explosion because that was fucking dope, dope. that's one of the best spots i've ever seen even the life. ring rope explosions looked okay like yeah, it was if, quite obvious the right... they were a little bit f- further away but that was fine it was enough to uh hold reality for a second and just sort of get yourself into it but anyway from that disappointment to the second biggest disappointment of the night definitely for you anyway the big reveal of the hall of famer that has joined AEW is christian cage yeah this was um i'm honestly i'm i'm not against it because i like christian cage but uh it's not as exciting as we had all had hoped for no so this is again it's this this is a running theme uh, I hate to agree with Brian Alvarez because I dislike the man, but not on a personal level. Just I find him <laughs> annoying. But he said they underdelivered and oversold from the main event to the surprise. They underdelivered and oversold. That's exactly what they did. And Meltzer chimed in on the on his podcast that this is a very good pay per view to learn from, and I completely agree. My opinion: this is AEW's WrestleMania Four moment. Basically. It was a lot like Vince McMahon got a little bit too cocky for his own boots and put like a 20-person tournament for the championship on WrestleMania 4. It was like five hours long. And even back then, people thought it was boring as hell. And he learned from that. And this is a good opportunity for Tony Khan to learn that the whole world isn't made up of AEW hardcores that will take all of your shit all of the time and this is and i'm not saying that in a negative way i'm just saying it's a good chance to realize that you can't sell anything to anyone you have to know what you can sell and what you can't sell yeah i agree i'm i'm a massive you call me an AEW apologist and i am a big fan of AEW more than wwe but um i i dislike this show this show put me in a bad mood i'm not going to go as far as a lot of people online have said this show made me depressed and I'm done with AEW. Yeah, no, neither I'm, am I. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go that crazy, but uh, but this you've, I you've, think maybe is their worst ever pay per view show. Definitely, and you, you've watched my evolution with AEW. This time last year, I probably would have mauled this show, but I've come yeah. I've come to enjoy certain aspects of it, and I do like certain people, and I wish them the best, and I can see moments within their product where I think ah, they're finally getting somewhere. This was a massive step back, and I hope that they learn from it. So with the Christian thing, I think the biggest problem was his Royal Rumble appearance. And I was going to ask you about what maybe happened here, but I I did learn on someone else's podcast what had happened. So he never intended to go to AEW when the Royal Rumble happened. But 
uh, a contract was never put in place. It was kind of a one and done and we'll sort the contract out later. And they could just never agree on a number. So Christian decided, I've still got fuel in the tank. I'll just go elsewhere. And Tony Khan signed him. That's what happened. In a kayfabe world, I think had the Royal Rumble not happened for Christian, mm. this would have been uh, a bigger deal. Definitely. Because we we wouldn't have known that he even could wrestle. It would have been out of the blue. He wouldn't have been on our thoughts at all. Uh, it would have been a bigger shock. But it wasn't because he was in the Rumble. I've got a few points to make here, if that's all right. I might Go be at it. least three minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, I just wanted to, to start it off with, I read some reports today. Christian apparently never thought that AEW would market him as a big surprise, which again says volumes to overselling, under-delivering. So Christian, did he think he was just going to turn up on a dynamite? Yes, Christian thought, well, no, he thought he was going to turn up on pay-per-view, but he thought he was going to turn up in the same way that Ethan Page did tonight. He thought he would just uh, appear and it would be a big shock, which is a great idea. Like that, nobody's saying that Christian is a unworthy wrestler to to come into AEW. I don't think anybody is saying that. I think it's the way they marketed Christian as Hall of Fame worthy, going to shake the foundations of the business. Then it's Christian, and it all becomes a bit lull TNA, especially yeah, they, with the finish at the end. They really alluded to CM Punk, didn't they? They did. They really did. It was the way that they talked about it. It was either Punk or Lesnar, um, yeah. and they did sell that. They they sold that, and it, it didn't happen. Whatever. Do you think we should have just got uh, Christian Cage's All Elite on Twitter, much like they did with Big Show, and they've done with other people in the past? Well, this was my next point. If if you're gonna sell a Hall of Fame worthy person shake the foundations of the business if you want to be funny have christian in big show's role and big show in christian's role big show is a bigger star than christian that's what doesn't make sense to a lot of people why did we not think of that just swap those two around it might just be my bias thinking that christian cage is a bigger deal but you're probably rewrite big show is a big show is almost a household name isn't he yeah Where christian cage isn't Look, I, I've got, I've actually got less of a problem with Christian turning up than most people because I think that Christian has got stuff left in the tank, and I do think that he can come up with some great matches. Uh, I, I'm also looking forward to him seeing facing numerous members of the roster. There's quite a few fantasy matches I'm quite excited for with Christian. It's just the way that they handled it. Yeah, and it's also they picked the one guy that TNA said over and over again over 15 years ago was their big major signing from WWE. People remember stuff. Wrestling fans remember stuff. And they remember that that's nearly two decades ago that Christian was the big guy that was going to change things. Yeah, but it's different promotion. now. He's he's like, he's in that legend spot that's just going to work with like some of the younger guys. I don't know. And that's that's fine, but how many guys are we, we talking here? Because you've, you've now got Big Show for no apparent reason. Matt Hardy's not gelling. You've got Christian... You've got Jericho fucking about, and sting. they said they would n- sting, and they said they'd never take old guys from other companies and put them in prominent positions. They're starting to prove themselves wrong. Jericho's different because he's he's almost an AEW original. I know. So, I just threw him in there, but yeah, yeah, you, you know yeah. what I mean. But, but yeah, but no. With with my biggest problem is Sting, Big Show, and Christian basically all within one month. 
And when we got Sting, it felt like, okay, we don't need any more legends. That's it. We got Sting. He's going to have a few more. Uh, he's yeah. going to have his retirement run. And I think and, everybody was fine with Sting. But it now now it's gotten ridiculous. With, but Big Show isn't going to be a competitor, I don't think. They've announced he him. He is. At, no, 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 no. Tony Khan, Tony Khan has said he's come into AEW as a commentator with a wrestler's license. Right, sure. You know, I did hear that, actually. But, I mean, to be fair, at WrestleMania, Big Show is in, like, the best shape of his life. He's fucking jacked. So, It's fine, dude. I'm just... I don't know whether it's the people they're picking or the people that are available to them, but Matt Hardy, Big Show, and Christian, at least to me, is SmackDown 2010's mid-card. Yeah. Uh, You're not wrong. You're not wrong. but just, just, but imagine instead of, I mean, you've got a killer match coming up at Fastlane with Roman versus Brian. Imagine Christian's there, and he's like, I, I just want one more opportunity at the championship so that I can win it and go into Mania against Edge, yeah. my tag team partner, and then he loses it. Like that's a perfect storyline. Yeah, which is a shame. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm sure Christian will do some good work with AEW. I'm sure he won't annoy me as much as Matt Hardy has over the past year. But it's just... Well, on top of that, the, the way they actual segment was trash. He walked out, he has a contract in his hand, he doesn't even say anything. And Christian's pretty good on the mic. Doesn't even say anything. His music plays, the music's trash. He throws it down, he's got a new saying, outwork everyone, so I guess he's going to be a heel. So his new merchandise t-shirt's trash, and then he just walks out. Yeah, I've also heard a lot of people uh, tell me, either on podcasts or the internet, that Christian's AEW theme tune is extremely reminiscent of the TNA theme tune. Yeah, it's, it's meant to be similar, but it's worse. It's not a, that's not, and I mean, I don't know whether it is a heel thing or not, but I don't think anybody's thought of Christian in his last nine years of retirement as outworking other people i assume he's gonna be a heel and that's what it's all about i assume you know anyway anyway just let's go through the pay-per-view because we're running out of time like we're literally done already and we haven't even (laughs) talked about the show um pre-show as always i didn't watch it it was a women's tag team match which i heard it was not very good oh man i don't even want to go first of all i i have to say like I say, every single time we cover an AEW pay-per-view, I always forget how good their hype packages are until I see them. The hype package for the Bucks MJF Jericho match was um, great. The hype package for the Sting match was amazing. And give a shout out to Tony Khan for actually having music taste. It's so refreshing on, I've said it before, it's so refreshing on wrestling shows to hear music over a music video or something like that that isn't metal or rap just just like an actual human being song that human beings listen to just That's good nice. music not yeah. like genre fitting uh so the pre-show match we had Britt baker versus Makioto uh Britt baker and Makioto versus thunder rosa and rio i i'm obviously missing something because maki oto ito came out and the internet is very happy with her the smart marks well she was involved in the women's tournament that's just been on okay so she's had tv time in the last month what i saw was somebody coming out as a heel apparently smiling continually doing a a worse butchering of a karaoke than jillian hall ever did 
and then spending most of the match playing around with Rio and hitting it they were hitting each other while they were laughing at each other um they just didn't look like wrestlers in comparison to Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa uh, but even Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa I don't know whether they were pissed off that they didn't have a singles but they were sloppy as well this whole match was just a mess and AEW, I don't know how many pay-per-views they've had now, but I mean, I think this is nine for nine of terrible buy-in pre-show matches. So let's get into the show. It opens with Chris Jericho and MGF taking on the Bucks for the Tag Team Championships. I don't understand why the Bucks have got this thing when championship matches, they just have to heighten the story even more. It's a championship match. We're, we're, we're all in. We're, we want to watch it. But they added this whole thing where Jericho beats up his dad and now they want revenge. They did a similar thing with FDR. They had to, like, heighten the odds. I would say that's probably a self-conscious complex because they realize that they can't tell stories properly. One thing that the Bucks uh, said on one of their hype packages absolutely shocked me. Because in selling this pay-per-view, they said, we could have just done the usual wrestling feud where you say how great you are and I say how great I am, but you had to take it a step further and beat up our dad. So in the same sentence, you've told me that wrestling is not real and that Chris Jericho legitimately beat up your dad. This is the problem with the Bucks. They're so smart-marky themselves that they don't realise half the time that they're exposing the business that they're trying to generate cash from. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But, with that being said, I thought that this was one of the better matches on the card, match. to be honest. Yeah, it was It was actually probably one of the two best matches of the night. Jericho and MJF uh, saved it for me. I, I've got to say that I didn't think that Matt or Nick particularly felt like they were wrestling because their dad had been beaten to a bloody pulp. But MJ and Chris Jericho, as much as I hate to admit it, work really well together. And they're, some of their old school heel tactics I, I quite enjoyed. Also, I wanted to give a quick quick shout out to not enjoying the stereo sharpshooter moment at all. Matt and Nick Jackson put sharpshooters on Chris Jericho and MJF respectively. And then I thought about why I hated that choreography so much. And I think it's because every single time The Undertaker and Kane did a stereo choke slam. Kane could never manage to get it done at the same time as the Undertaker. <laughs> so I've I've okay. grown up I've grown up e- expecting them to not get it quite right. So when they do, I thought, so wow, you this just is hate shit. synchronized wrestling moves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. What was surprising for me is uh, Jericho and MGF had a Young Bucks match. They were kept at the Bucks's pace, and it was fast from start to end. Yeah. And um. Good on Jericho for managing to keep up because a lot of people have been criticizing him for being sloppy over the last couple of months, maybe a year. Yeah, I mean, outside so. of his his personal beliefs, I, I got time for Jericho actually getting in the ring and proving to everybody that he can still go. And he can still go from this, from what I can see. Then after that, we get the tag team. I've put Royal Rumble here. Tag team battle royale for the number one contendership. And you're going to roll your eyes at me, but this is my favorite match of the night. Well, I think you. Which is a little bit sad that a battle royale is the best match. That's your favorite match, seriously. Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you why because expectations were crazy low because you know it's just a battle royale, whatever. But uh, there was a lot of young guys, young tag teams in this that came out looking amazing, and I'm just excited to see what they do going forward. 
There was a few teams that I think are on Dark a lot, but I don't watch Dark. Mainly the Gun Club, uh, Bear County. The Sidal brothers look like shit. Uh, Luchasaurus looked dope as always. He did that spinning heel kick thing that just looks like it would legitimately fuck up your face. Pack and Phoenix that went on to win it, they looked fantastic throughout the whole thing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I I feel like you Freudian slipped at the start there when you nearly called this a Royal Rumble because that's exactly what it was. It was a ha- yeah. It was strange. It was a house. It was a house show bingo hall. Royal Rumble. This was indie, indie, indie wrestling, and I felt like most, which I like, which is probably why I liked it. But you got to admit, most of most of this show was uh, most of this match was people laying in corners pretending to hit each other, like the worst middle part. That's what a battle royale always is. I hate battle royales. <laughs> I know you do, the other point, which is why the bar was so low going into the it. The other point I wanted to make was you said you don't know most of these guys because these guys are on dark. Why are they on fucking pay-per-view then? True. I, there was a Making point, up numbers, There they? was a point, right, where I think it was SCU came out. And I thought to myself, man, I haven't seen these guys for ages. It's really cool to see them. And then in comes fucking Excalibur as usual and says... Oh, these guys are on a hot streak. <laughs> are they? I've watched every Dynamite. I haven't seen them for about two and a half months. They need to stop acting like AW Dark is a show that people watch. I'm sorry, it's not. People do not watch that show. It's about two hours long, and it's got elevation talent. And you can't put that... There's a reason that Ricochet's main event win status isn't mentioned on Raw. You can't expect people to have n- either never have seen a guy or haven't seen a guy in two months and then tell them actually they've been winning every week on this show on YouTube. Okay, okay, I get what you're saying. But, but that being said, I did. I had a lot of fun watching this. I and did, there wasn't a lot of fun moments on this show. I did like Bear Country. They needed they, a few more they hosses. Looked, they looked fucking fantastic. Yeah. They were great. But as the match ended, we had Silver versus Pac go at it. And then we had Jungle Boy versus Phoenix, which were both just as single uh, wrestling moments were fantastic. Well, there was a spot there where John Silver got eliminated and it was Jungle Boy versus Phoenix and Pac. And I thought, wow, they've really got something going here. Two horrible heels against one babyface. Literally, as I was writing that sentence, Phoenix stood in a corner while Jungle Boy eliminated him. They just waited for, like, Phoenix waited for about a minute for, for Pac to be eliminated, and then they just went back to a, a one-on-one situation. I have to say, and I don't like topes, Phoenix's tope was so special, I didn't actually believe he went between the ropes and had to wind it back <laughs> to make sure that he went through them. This guy went through the middle of the ropes and then did, a, then did a, a, like, a 360. In yeah, midair, yeah. after the going through the ropes. Yeah, because even the refs were arguing about it, weren't that they? That was crazy, yeah. man. Matt, Phoenix and even Pac, there's, there's something special there. I'm glad they won it. Is there any it's, meaning behind this Death Triangle name? Uh, it's been around since the very beginning of AEW. Pac sided with Phoenix and uh, Penta like, uh, okay. right at the beginning, and it's, it's the three of them. I was trying to figure out how they made a triangle. No worries. Well, because Phoenix <laughs> and Penta are obviously brothers, yeah. tag team. 
Um, pack a pack's been involved. I do. I, w- I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the butcher looks amazing. I love the butcher. That's that's a guy right there. That's a guy I want to see. Yeah, big balding bloke. Santana and Ortiz should probably contact Vince McMahon because they've been completely thrown away. Right. In the I last wanted. Couple of I months. wanted to talk about these two because we were talking about the involvement in the inner circle and we were saying that they they look the worst and at a point does there become where you know okay you could blame aw for not pushing uh santa ortiz so well but like does there come a point where you like they got to take responsibility for it themselves because sammy guevara and jake hager look incredible like they feel like they're stars and these two are just a tag team that they have a match every now and then I like, I'm just wondering, like, do you think it's AEW's fault, or do you think they just have given up? I wouldn't say they've given up. I, if it's not AEW's fault, then I think that Santana and Ortiz aren't politicking. Uh, I think AEW, as much as hardcore fans don't want to admit it, is more politicking than WWE yeah, is. Yeah, but it's not even wrestling. Every workplace in the world, there's politics. I mean, I've said this to you. My own philosophy is when you work in a place... Try and make sure you're the best in the room at what well, no, you do, I, and then you get a promotion. That's I completely agree with you, and I, I I abide by the same philosophy. That's one of the the things that uh, makes us good friends. So, so, so my argument is, Sanna and Ortiz were they were stars in Impact, and I really liked watching them. And their feud with Penta and Phoenix, I think, was the best thing Impact have done for years. And then they've come to AEW and they've not done anything special apart what, from that one you, street fight with um, Right, so what if, you, what if you did that backlot street fight brawl? Everybody says, oh, great job. And then the next week they book you to be standing at the back of Jericho silently. Do you want to carry on? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, but they didn't even get a championship match from that. No, they didn't. I'm not saying that they're bad. They're obviously great. My problem is their character work is nowhere near as good as what it was in Impact, and I just don't know whether it's them or whether it's AEW. I think it's them trying to... I don't think they were a good fit for the inner circle in the first place, and they've gone full full on into the comedy. I think it's a mixture of AEW's fault and their fault, and now they're trying to find a way out of the mire. But you know my opinion on this. I think Santana himself is a white hot fucking baby face and should be a solo champion in some sort of company. I agree with you. And you know, I love tag team wrestling. I hate tearing tag teams apart, but Ortiz just winds me up. I just don't like watching him. So Santana splitting might be great for him. I do feel like Ortiz has got less of um, a wide range then Santana. Santana, I feel like, could fit into anything and, and give the same level of intensity. Ortiz kind of feels like he has his role and he plays it out. Kind of like Nick and Matt Buck, to be honest. I wouldn't say either of them are great storytellers, but Matt remembers that psychology exists every now and again. And he tries his best to sort of... He's got more natural charisma and he tries his best to deliver promos. Nick just seems like there's not much going on up on there. But and Nick he, is the workhorse. Right. Ortiz That's might the... be considered by some others as the workhorse, but it's not the complete package. No. Yeah, sure. Okay. Big Show tells us about the mystery debut. Can anyone work it out? Whatever. Using a catchphrase that nobody's ever heard before. Brilliant. What did he say? He said, uh, I'll give you one hint it's that this guy outworks everybody right yeah 
So then we get uh, Shida versus Mizunuri. We both got problems with this match. Yeah, I thought towards its later stages it got better because they just decided to kill each other about halfway through the match. But I've got no time with a challenger joking around, pretending to pull a invisible rope, uh, clapping somebody's chest, doing a little dance two minutes into yeah. a championship match. And I, I said to you the other day, um, I might be speculating because I don't know, but I'm, I'm wondering if this is just the Joshi style, women's wrestling in Japan. I don't yeah. watch Joshi, so I, I don't know. That might be wrong. Yeah, but. so, no, no. So Excalibur uh, explained this in excruciating detail to crickets. <laughs> of course he did. And Shivani and JR didn't fucking care, and neither did I. If you're if you if you're in a Western environment wrestling a serious type women's championship match, adapt to the style. What do you say? Uh, he was talking about how Shida and um, Mizunumi, I probably butchered that. My apologies. Came up from different schools of Japan. One was less serious than the other but they both got the job done, and he went on for quite some time. JR and Shivani didn't care. Um, look, another if, if Shida went over to Joshi again, or Thunder Rosa went over to Joshi, or Britt Baker went over to Joshi, I would expect them to inhabit the style that they're wrestling. If somebody goes over to um, Lucha Underground, I would expect them to inhabit that style. Wherever you go, based upon what company you're working for and what style of wrestling they present, you follow that style. And yeah, this that is makes where sense. this yeah. is where AEW loses their quality control. Somebody needed to step in here and say, "This is not how we do wrestling. We do wrestling in this way." And yeah. the internet can mock Vince McMahon all they want for banning thigh slaps last week, but at least that guy has a sense of quality control. If he doesn't like something, here, here, ban it immediately. And I agree with you because the style difference in here was, um, ruined the match. And um, I guess Shida just comes from a different pool of wrestling where she's uh, kind of under like the King's Road of Japanese style, where she's like much hard hitting and weapons and stuff. Where Mizunuri is kind of on that comedy track. Well, I guess. you know, when halfway through when they started to actually like proper go in for it and hurt each other, it started to get better like i it nearly became a good match for me uh it was just that opening part that ruined it if if you're not going to take it seriously as a challenger i'm not going to take it seriously as a viewer like you've already tuned me out well for me i always know a match wasn't very good when my notes is filled with stuff like i really like shida's eye makeup <laughs> She had um, like she had this like blue to purple thing going on on her eyelids. I don't know what makeup that's called, but she had the same thing in her eyebrows. I don't wow. know how you paint your eyebrows, but it was cool. I th I just like to say for the record that I think Hikaru Shida has really come into herself as a champion, and I'm quite happy for her to continue for a long time. Ah, oh, dude, she's great, but I feel like. Almost all of her champion matches are duds, and it's not her fault. No, they don't build them up enough. They just throw. Yeah, but no, but even the actual her. match quality is a bit rubbish. Yeah, uh, this is a good point to mention at this at this point that from the opening match to the last match, lit. This is where the WCW comparisons come in. Literally, 
every single match had either interference or run-in. Every match. I don't know whether you caught this. Young Bucks, Chris Jericho, MJF had... Wardlow. Wardlow. Um, the Battle Royal had Marco Stunt. match we just talked about had a load of girls running in at the end, only for Thunder Rosa to come out and five of them run away from her. Yeah, but that makes sense. That's setting up like this six man rival, six women rivalry that's going to happen. Okay, but I'm I'm just Miro, yeah, no, okay, Miro yeah. Kip Sabian, Chuck Taylor, and Orange Cassidy had Penelope Ford. Adam Page, Matt Hardy had both the Dark Order and I think it was H H two. Yeah, Jack Evans. Um, yeah. The six way ladder had Jake Roberts. The Sting Darby Allen B movie match had Taz's boys and Moxley Omega had the Good Brothers. Every single match on this card had WCW level interference. How is that how does that pass quality control? Because there there isn't a quality control. This is the issue. There's just too much going on in every But that's exactly what people used to say about WCW. You can't have every single match from the start to the finish having interference of some kind. Yeah. Takes away from the sports aspect that AEW said they were trying to be as well. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to talk about the Miro match? It was it was nothing, was it? I mean, Miro, they tried to make Miro look great by him being a badass, but he... he as far as I'm smart. concerned, Miro is dead in the water. There, I don't think you can save him anymore. He went down from Orange Cassidy's Superman punch for nearly four minutes. Mm. What What is the logic behind that? I don't understand. Was at least if uh, Miro had come in, destroyed, and then turned on Kip, that w- they would have been able to pull the trigger, and it might have been saved. Without them doing that, and it just carrying on as usual, with Miro going down to Orange Cassidy's Superman punch for four minutes, he's done for me. He's a really jacked jobber. Which is a shame. Well, we predicted that Miro would turn on Kip Sabian, but maybe it'll be the other way around. Uh, Miro shoves Orange Cassidy into Penelope, which distracts Kip Sabian. He goes, looks after his wife. And then they have words, but hug it out after the match. So do you reckon they will split, but just not the way we thought it would happen? I definitely think they're split. Knowing AEW, that tease will last about six months. <laughs> um, and they'll finish it off at full gear or something, but... This has gone too long and they need to read the the signs in the water and they need to realise that this was the time. This was over past well, the time to I've, get Miro out of this stuff. Well, the thing is, I'm, almost, I'm, all, I'm thinking that Lana's contract was up like at the end of the year or something. Somebody was saying something about her contract's up soonish. And I'm wondering if maybe they're keeping Rusev just treading water until they can team those two together. Maybe I mean that would make a make sense with the Penelope Ford Kip Sabian angle. Yeah, and then they have a mixed uh, tag team feud. I, I always take my hat off to somebody that I don't like when they deliver something well. Um, I I will say that I thought Chuck Taylor was very good here. You don't like Chuck Taylor? No, I don't like him at all. I, I, Chuck Taylor and Trent Barreto are one of um, the better tag teams in AEW. I think. I don't mind Trent Barretta, but something about Chuck Taylor really winds me up. Is it because he's flabby? Uh, I think it's because he likes Rick and Morty. I like Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's got that vibe. I don't okay. know. I don't like him. 
All right, okay, but okay, I, okay. I was trying to compliment the fucker. All right, all right, all right. Uh, we go back to Alex uh, Mores, whatever his fucking name is. He interviews Jericho and MJF, and some changes are coming to the inner circle. Find out on Wednesday. Yeah, MJF's uh, taking over the inner circle, isn't he? He looked Chris Jericho straight in the eye and said, yeah, I think changes do need to be made. Yeah. Straight back to the ring. Matt Hardy. Quite interested but- to see a, a Jericho face turn. It would be quite fun, I think. I think it's that it has to happen now. It's the only way you can take it. I mean, the crowd sing along to his theme tune. He's beloved. Uh, the, crowd, the crowd tonight, that was the loudest I've heard Judas since before crowds left. Mm. They love it. He's over. He's over like Rover. He always has been. Anyway, we're straight back to the ring. Uh, Matt Hardy versus Hangman Page. Hangman wins, and he's also won the first quarter of Matt Hardy's paycheck. This is such a bullshit old school gimmick. This was this was weak as it would have worked in the eighties, but it's not working now. With that being said, Matt Hardy and Adam Page had nothing to work from, and I thought they worked very well with nothing. Other than maybe the opening tag match, I think this was the best match of the night. You got and some weird a- matches of the night, brother. <laughs> Do you not like this? Did you not like this? Match? No, I did. Li- I did like it. No, no, I was actually surprised by it. I, I thought, thought that th- they worked really well together. I thought they worked a good slow pace, which hid Matt getting sort of older in the ring, um, and they had surprising amounts of chemistry. I thought but- you would like it because Matt Hardy actually looked good here. Yeah, but I wouldn't call it like match of the night. Okay, well, it was match. like it was surprise of the night. Okay, yeah, no, no, no. I agree. It, it exceeded my expectations. I this was the point in the show where I was really sort of, I had a break after this match. I was really sort of dovetailing in in on this pay per view because I, I hadn't been given anything at all, but this one was okay. I did like at the end of the match that Hangman chugs the beers like Stone Cold vibes there. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of cool with... Uh, I kind of enjoyed the finish a little bit with the, the entire Dark Order pushing him back into the ring as well. I quite like that. Yeah. Uh, after that, the ladder match. Um, you got to grab the brass ring. you got to grab the co- Sonic the Hedgehog to beat Dr. Robotnik. Oh, this brass ring. See, I thought it was going to be like <laughs> the ring that MJF won a couple years back. You know, you know, like an actual real ring. It yeah. was comically large. It was it was inflatable. It was ridiculous. It was exactly the same thing as the Sonic the Hedgehog rings that you collect. It was. It was. I, I didn't see that at the time, but I can see that. Amy enjoyed this match. I thought this was trash. Bro. I was really disappointed because there were so many people in this that I felt like could have shone, like really shined bright. Mainly this, Penta and Scorpio this, Sky. And it feels like nobody got a shot. This was the epitome of guys laying around for ages. Uh, my MVP of this match, I'm glad Scorpio Sky won because he's needed a break for a while. I'm glad that they're it. doing something with him. You did call it. Ethan it. Page came out as the surprise. And apart from a really dope razor's edge to Lance Archer, did absolutely nothing. Yeah, it was a win but my MVP for this match was actually Max Caster. He he really blew me away in this one. He was yeah he did he did some cool stuff. He did a, a picture perfect elbow drop off the ladder, um, and he he was the only Ooh. guy that seemed like he was really 
actually trying in this match because he needed to make an effort to to sort of show show top talent that he's somebody to look at. Yeah, true. I suppose he was the only one that had something to prove. Maybe other than Ethan. Ethan, uh, who did the who did the frog splash? Was it was Scorpio Sky, right? Did the frog splash? Yeah, yeah. that was that picture was, perfect, that was good, beautiful. That was a good spot. Yeah. Can you talk to me about what was going on with Cody in this? Right. So Cody injures his arm or his ribs. I don't know. They do the whole. But he thing doesn't where... at all. We're, like I, the, the the actual spot that they did. I'm sure it was intended to look different, but the only person that landed on that ladder was Penta. So right. it kind of looks silly from, from the actual camera shot when Cody's recoiling in pain, but it basically Penta just hurt himself. Oh dear. Yeah. So, so the story is the trainers on Anderson want to pull Cody out of the match, take him back because he's injured. But he does the whole wrestler thing where he's like, I don't want to leave. I can... I can fight it out. So he stops in the tunnel. He goes onto one knee and he's there for like five minutes and he comes back into the ring. He gets the shit beaten out of him. And then out of nowhere, suddenly he's climbing a ladder and the commentators are telling us, oh, Cody's actually going to do it. And it's it's ridiculous. There's I, absolutely it's... no way that this isn't a heel turn, right? If this isn't, this is the most tone deaf, egotistical, poorly executed thing I've ever seen Cody Rhodes do. I agree with you. This is the first time I've looked at what Cody's doing as that's full-on ego. You're not helping the match. You're not helping another wrestler get over. It's it's all about you. Um, I spent the cause, entire, cause, pretty much the entire match, whether I liked it or not, staring at Arn Anderson's shirt sleeves. <laughs> all right, you do you. <laughs> Ain't Arn Anderson's fault. What? No, well, but he be. was. To be fair, I think it, he put some of the this, matches together. But this is what this is what I didn't understand. Um, was this meant to be purposeful placing? Because if the whole, pretty much the entire match, if you looked at the top right where the the babyface entrance is, um, yeah. Arn Anderson's was half of his shoulder and half of his leg was present at all times shuffling left from right left from right and it's really distracting and i didn't know whether they were doing that on purpose or arn had gotten into shot by accident but they didn't actually go backstage they were just walking around up and down up and down for the entire match which took away from what was already a really lazy match because cody stopped and dropped to one knee at the entrance of the tunnel because i guess he was being defiant not wanting to leave the arena but even when um, he went in, Arn Anderson was still sort of hanging around the, the the insides of the runway. I just didn't understand this. I didn't understand I, it at all. And I'm I'm pretty sure when Cody came back and strapped a couple of people, the crowd actually started booing. I don't know, man. I just I I Cody went into business for himself on this one, I guess. But he didn't and, even um, win. <laughs> what, what I think it would have been it? even more. I think it would have been even more disappointing had he actually won. Um, I I thought that the only good thing that came from this was Scorpio Sky talking trash to Codley, uh, Bruce Lee throwing him off the ladder and and winning. And again, this is me just being biased, but I'm really disappointed that Penta didn't get more of a showing because I, again, being biased, I think he was the best person in that ring. I thought he did some good stuff, but I thought that I th- I f- thought 
the way that you are about Penta, about pretty much all of these guys. Somehow they got about 30 minutes, and yet nobody did much with it. Yeah, nobody did shame. anything. Yeah, um, It was just messy. It was a WCW-style ladder match, this. I guess Lance Archer got a pretty good showing, because he was bossing most of the match. The only guy I really stood up and noticed was Max Caster. And, like, good on him for getting some time and showing me what he can do. And that really should have been Ethan Page's rub. but Ethan so, Page got treated like a jobber in this match. I, I, I know you like him, but I do not see a place for him on the AEW roster. I do not think I, he's going to do much. I do think that he's made the wrong decision here. He He's a natural Vince NXT guy. Uh, yeah. He's a talker. I don't understand really why he came into AW, but there we go. Maybe he'll learn his lesson. Next, we have the big debut. Debut? Fuck's sake. Next, we have the big debut. Christian comes out. We already talked about it. Yep. And after that, we get the B movie, Sting and Darby versus Cage and Ricky Starks. Uh, probably gone out of the arena to let the technicians and the ring crew set up the uh, C4 exploding death match. So that's why this so- is co-main. We massively disagreed on this. Yes, given I'd had a couple of beers when I, by the time I'd seen this, but I gave this a, a three and a three quarter to a very weak four stars. Ooh, I, lo- I loved it. Four I absolutely stars. loved it. Yeah, dude, Ouch. I was marking out for Sting hard. Oh, okay. Well, no, that that plays into why I really didn't like this. You marked out for Sting, right? This is Sting's first match in AEW. Yeah. The first match he's had since his awful run in WWE. Why wasn't this in front of a live crowd? How massive would have the pop because, been because... when he'd done a Scorpion death drop in front of a crowd? <laughs> you know, because like, they wasted it. Because, they wasted because, the moment. Because Sting is a 62-year-old man with a broken neck. Dude, dude <laughs> did you not see it in the moments that they had Sting that the 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 footage was sped up? No. The footage that. was the footage was sped up every single time Sting was doing moves. This was old man Steven Seagal uh, with the effects of cinema magic coming back alive and being twenty years younger. As much as I would love this to be in front of a live crowd, Sting can't do that stuff anymore. If you go back and watch this match, every time Sting is there, it's on like 1.5 speed. Okay, well, that makes sense, I suppose. I understand but that they, what, they wanted I mean, to protect him in a B the movie. The budget on this was crazy. Like, just oh, the yeah, opening I don't care bit about where... The... I don't care. <laughs> The opening bit where Ricky Starks and Brian Cage get in like a Ferrari or something, and then it zooms up, and then zooms into the city. I was like, "That what is going on here? How much money is Tony Khan spending on this?" Yeah, but this is the problem. Like, it's fake as fuck. Like, doesn't oh, this man. just? Yeah, but no, but doesn't this just take you out of what this is meant to be? Like, if you want to watch I... an action movie, go watch an action movie. We're meant to be watching wrestling. I thought it was fine because it had some of the best pacing that I'd seen from a B-movie match. I thought it actually had better pacing than the Undertaker B-movie match. Um, and what I mean by that it was is that it was pretty much the only B-movie match I've seen in general that kept my attention. Um, the other point I wanted to make about it was that 
it was really nice to have a B-movie match that wasn't as cartoony, that was in like a, a disused warehouse and I was actually gearing more towards like Batman vibes, you know? Um, yeah, but the Sting Druids at the beginning. Okay, that what you but that I was that was much. cool, man. Like this is where yeah. you have to take us that this way you have to take a step back and imagine yourself as a fifteen year old or a fourteen year old and think, Would I find this dope? You would. You'd love this as a fourteen, fifteen year old. And sometimes yeah, well, that's I'm not enough. 14, so I well, then, don't care. Then <laughs> fucking watch politics. <laughs> it's wrestling. This is what it's made but for. But this isn't wrestling. There's music playing. There shouldn't be music playing in a wrestling match. You sit and tell because me that what they're you, doing if there, T- you sit and tell me that if you were 14 years old and TNA did this with this level of production value, you wouldn't cite it as the greatest thing in well, the world. Well, yeah, because that'd be the best fucking thing TNA ever did. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Well, we're playing on a different level here. Okay. I, d- I don't I know, put- Matt. Like it as a B movie match, it was maybe one of the best ever in the last two years or year and a half, whatever. But yeah. I, I still just can't get on board with B-movie matches. I, I still don't enjoy I think them. Maybe it's... I don't want to put words into your mouth, but maybe it's less to do with the quality of this specific B-movie match and more the fact that you can't immerse yourself within them anymore because you're sick of them in general. Is that the, the vibe I'm getting? Yeah, no, Totally. Yeah, totally. Because you had watched this show before me, and when you told me it was a B movie match, I, like this, it was already dead to me. Um, so I went into the match with the a negative opinion. Exploding ring sirens went off in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's the the overproduction of it. It's it, the music is the real killer. The music and the heavy editing makes me feel like I'm watching a movie. I'm not watching a real life sporting event, and I just can't get on board. It's the, mainly the shout music out to, because shout out to Brian Cage and uh, uh, carrying Darby Allen up a set of stairs though. Oh mate, the actual the actual stunts in it were fantastic. I just wish they had done it in an a- actual Fools Count Anywhere backstage match rather than in in a movie. Because Darby Allen going through the the window was fantastic, and then him diving. Uh, from one floor onto uh-huh. the balcony, and we assume hit them falling to the floor below, was a fantastic stunt. But um, yeah, I, I just can't, I just can't get behind it. You know what? Sorry. It's actually quite nice. It's actually quite nice uh, for once for me to prefer something that's carnier than you. Yeah, I quite like that. <laughs> it's 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 funny actually that you actually seem to be more up. On this AEW show than I am, and that's right. I think I slightly am. Yeah, I uh, I didn't gel with it at all. I wouldn't say it was great, but it had some moments. It also had some awful moments. Anyway, we've caught up to the main event, so we've talked about everything. The show in a whole, I think we both feel it's one of AEW's worst pay per view efforts. I would say that this was actually one of the worst pay per view efforts I've seen in a long time, because at least WWE shows these days are. Try and keep to two and a half hours and have a couple of decent matches on them and not like awful, awful flops. Yeah, it was still better than Elimination Chamber. I would not agree with this one. No. <laughs> I'm joking just because I was, I, I was gutted with the actual Chamber matches. They were okay. 
that like most of this show. Okay, well, next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about C4 exploding death matches. The with actual explosions. Of, with real explosions. Uh, an episode we've already recorded. We've messed up our schedule a little bit. So last week's episode is next week's episode. There's a bit at the end where we're really, really excited about the explosions that are going to happen in Kenny Omega and John Moxley's match. You should check that out. <laughs> yeah, we talk a lot about this match coming up, which will have already happened, whatever. And then after that, we're going to do Lex Luger, a character study like we did for Doink. And then after that, I think it will be the NWA show will be live. Which so we'll Crimson has just been announced for. Whoa. Yeah. All I care about is... Um, Tim Storm. Tim Storm. I just want to see it. Billy look happy for once. Billy's sh- never on TV, is he? Or he might do like one of those like, intro video things. He always wears a cap and looks sad. And I can see why. Because everybody's left NWA. And his most recent like two or three Smashing pump called Pumpkins records have been shit. So well, <laughs> he's, I don't he's know, not I, having a good couple of years. I don't know if this is true, but I read somewhere that he went back to the studio to record um, a mini album or an LP, whatever, just so that he could fund the NWA reboot. Oh, that's sad, man. I'm, well, it's also not like he's obviously that passionate about it. You know, it's like his baby now that, you know, well, he's, I pick he's, up. He's grinding. Billy Corgan's one of those guys that I'll pick up every record of for the rest of my life, put it in the CD player, bitch about it to my girlfriend and then carry on listening to it because it's Billy Corgan. I've done that right. with most of his career. I only ever really liked one album. But I think I've uh, only ever really liked two songs. But Yeah. <laughs> well, Lockdown 2009. Yeah, that song. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's our next month of podcasts. We probably won't keep to that schedule. We never do. Until then, keep it botched up. Brother! Like, share, and subscribe to keep it botched up, brother!